0: I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the pause button today as, as you all should well know We've been in Philippians And we're nearing the end of chapter 2 Which had put us roughly halfway And had a sermon all ready To go um, um, On the on A little bit of an odd section of chapter 2 But I, I, there's great value in it As Paul gives us an example of humility that's not Christ. He gave us that one already. That's not himself. That was last week's sermon. But two other brothers, one named Timothy and another named Epaphroditus. You probably know a Timothy. I doubt you know an Epaphroditus. <laughs> and there's it's some great content in there that we should really internalize and embrace and seek to become like those men through the power of the Holy Spirit. However, Friday morning happened. Friday morning at 10.30, I got a notice on my phone and I opened it up and I did not believe what I read. Because what I read Friday morning at 10.30 in just a brief notice was that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. And have you ever read, been heard something? that made you just stop in your tracks? I said, I have surely read that wrong. So I went to some news sources and checked, and sure enough, it was true. And I'll tell you what, I wept. And I rejoiced. Part of my tears were I was wishing my dad were here to witness this day. What you probably didn't know about my dad because he was such a quiet man is that the atrocity of abortion broke his heart. And and he, he did a lot to fund places like Caring Solutions here in Macon. I immediately went to my wife and asked her had she heard. She said, I just saw it. And then I was, I was so excited. So I went out to the front of the house and my kids said, what's going on? And I said, the Supreme Court of the United States just overturned Roe versus Wade. And they said, what is that? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I took some time and explained to my kids this wonderful news of what had just happened. And it was amazing. It's a great day. A great day for people in the kingdom of God. Not such a great day for those in the kingdom of darkness. And if you're not excited about what happened, you may just be in the kingdom of darkness. This is not about politics. This is about life. This is about the sanctity of human life. So I went about the earlier part of my day with a a little bit of a lighter step. I hope you did. I couldn't get the smile off my face and I couldn't get the tears to stop rolling down my cheeks. Then I got home and made the mistake of going back on Facebook. And I was both amazed and shocked at what I saw. I reached out to my fellow pastor here, Brother Jay, um, and told him that I felt the need to address this biblically. Because I understand that some of you are sitting here and you're not excited about that. And I fear for your soul, to be honest with you, if that's you today. This is not about politics. This is about life. And God is the author of life. Jace shot me back a text and said, uh, he did a little research for me. And he said, on that day, the number one trending hashtag on Twitter was hashtag praise God. But it's the number two that's disturbing. The number two was hashtag night of rage which was promised, thankfully it did not come to fruition yet. That churches, uh, crisis pregnancy centers would be attacked and and, and uh, damage done. And even people who worked in those places, their lives would be put at risk. So the question is, what should... What should we be doing today as citizens of the kingdom of King Jesus? What should our response be? What, and then where do we go? how do we go forward from here? What actually happened? What didn't happen? I want to address some of those things if I can. I know it's a little bit different, uh, but sometimes the times call for clarity. And I, I hope to give you that today. So as I, as I pondered this out, <laughs> I, this is a super simple outline, if you will, but I came up with this idea that citizens of the kingdom of Christ today should, be, should rejoice, we should also repent, and we should redeem the time. Yes. We should be more involved than we've ever been before. So let me try to unpack that today. Number one, I believe today we should rejoice. I didn't think about it until it was too late. But had I been thinking, I would have immediately, when I saw that news and after I talked to my children, I would have come down here and grabbed that cord up there in the balcony and rung that bell until I could not ring it anymore. I should have done that. Because that ringing of that bell is a sign of rejoicing and freedom. Yes, yes we can. I under, yeah, amen. <laughs> the Bible says this in Psalm 67 and verse 4. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Look at this now. For you, talking of our king, shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. This was a righteous thing that happened. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6 says this, and it's speaking of love here. So love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. I, I, I kind of, years ago, Paul, where's Paul? You may remember this. Remember we memorized 1 Corinthians 13, but we did it in a New Living Translation, which I don't recommend, it doesn't flow well. But, but it says, love does not rejoice in wrong but it rejoices when the truth wins out. And that's exactly what happened the other day. Truth won out. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. So, so, so what is this? What has happened? Here, here's what it is. And I want to rejoice, and we should. we should. True believers should be thanking the Lord today for that decision. It is definitely a step in the right direction. It is a victory for life, and God is the author of life. But let me be clear with you. It is not an end to abortion, though that is the desire of every kingdom citizen. And I'll put it this way, that there'd never be a need for abortion. That it would be an unconscionable thought. Just as slavery was not all that long ago. The thought of slavery today in these United States of America is a dark and evil thought, but at one time it was accepted and celebrated. Our prayer should be that this is no different. That one day, abortion, the taking of human life, and it's exactly what it is, would be an unconscionable thought. But this is not the end to abortion. Abortion. But rather a repeal to the of the federal governance and mandate of abortion on demand. So the battle went from one front to 50 fronts, represented by 50 states. So I want to make sure we understand. There's a if you want to see a mountain of ignorance go on social media right now, yeah. Yeah. on both sides, both the people who are rejoicing like myself, and the people who are violently angry, a lot of ignorance. It's not the end of abortion yet. It is a step in the right direction. But instead, this will go to the states. So I just want to say right there, because I'll talk more about some of this in a minute. At this point, we must rejoice in this victory. And again, I want to say to you as clearly as I can, as lovingly as I can, if you cannot or will not rejoice in this, you got some soul questions you need to ask. We gotta thank God for what got us here to this point today. And I'm gonna and I'm not gonna I'm gonna make this statement and move on, but I, I just want to say this, this you don't have to be a historian to know that this that God used a very flawed man. For such a time as this, to put justices on that Supreme Court that will finally overturn Roe and, more importantly, Casey. Planned Parenthood versus Casey, 1992. And one brother put it this way, and I love it. I'm going to use this quote. God draws straight with crooked lines. Anybody glad that's true today? God draws straight with crooked lines. So we should rejoice. Now, our rejoicing should not be done in a demeaning way, to people who are still in darkness. And I'll talk more about that in the last point. But as I try to teach my eighth grade debate students, the goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to win the arguer. Right? You with me on that? So we should and we must rejoice. And don't hide from that. But we also must repent. We must repent. Why? Because this happened on our watch. For the last 50, nearly 50 years, this has been the federal mandated law of this land. And it happened on our watch. And we own responsibility for that. Edmund Burke said the only thing necessary to triumph for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And, and brothers, that's exactly what we've done. And if not nothing, certainly not enough. Burke borrowed this statement from a guy named John Stuart Mill who said in 1867, here was his original statement of this, edited by Burke. Mill said this, bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. We have all been guilty. And I believe we have all sinned in not standing for life enough. Life from the womb, from the moment of fertilization. I wonder, I don't know if you've thought about this, um, and I'm going to try to grab this, I don't know quite how to do it, I'm trying to dra- grab an old sermon that was delivered here, and I borrowed some of his material today from Jay Watts, who works in the pro-life industry. He spoke here a number of years ago, if I could figure out how to download that, I want to post that this week as well, it be a great, more cogent reminder of the little pieces of it I may share with you today. But what got Jay, who was a pro-choice atheist in college, uh, <laughs> God saved him. And what got him into the battle to end abortion in our country was actually studying the atrocities that mankind has done, had done to each other. And when we think of that, I think the first one that comes to my mind is Adolf Hitler. Right? Would you agree? and what he did to the Jewish people. I think another one that, that is, is behind that for me, but is, is very close because it's home, is what is the history of our nation and the chattel slavery of the, of the African and uh, uh, dark-skinned people of the islands. What was done here to them on our watch, on the watch of our forefathers. As Jay began to study that, he was doing a teaching at his church. The second series he was doing was on abortion. And when he came to the abortion issue after studying all the atrocities that mankind has perpetrated on itself, he, real, he, he ended up asking himself this question, if in fact that fertilized egg is a human being, a human life, And it is, that, that fertilized human being is being destroyed in the millions. What am I doing about that? And what should I do about that? And think about it. If you, we like to think that if we lived in Germany in the 1930s, that we would have been part of the resistance. And that resistance was small, but it was there. There were men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Pastor who saw clearly what was going on and was involved as a pastor in a plot to assassinate Hitler. And it cost him his life mere days before that war came to an end. And we all like to think that we would be Bonhoeffer or that we would be part of the abolitionist movement in the United States of America that literally gave their lives for the freedom and the correction of a great wrong i like to think i'd been would be a part of that but here's how we know what part are we playing in the in the abolition of abortion in this nation of ours hitler dehumanized the jews He stripped them of their humanity and convinced a nation that these people were subhuman. Like I said, not all Germans drank that Kool-Aid, but most did. The slave traders and our own forefathers dehumanized the African slaves. And by the way, we must know this. Never in human history, in recorded human history... Has any population dehumanized another in order to do them good or to bless them? We dehumanize them in order to treat them as something far less than human, which has produced nothing but the most evil atrocities that history has ever recorded. And we have done exactly the same thing with the unborn. We have convinced ourselves, erringly so, that that is not actually a human being. We had to strip the unborn of their humanity in order to wreak genocide on them in the womb. And what do we do about that? What have we done about that? James 4, 17, it's pretty clear. To him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is what, church? Sin. It's called a sin of omission. Sin of commissions are doing the things we shouldn't do. But sins of omission might be worse. It's not doing the things we know we ought to do that God has commanded. Isaiah 5 and verse 20 says this, woe, that's a curse by the way, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Brothers and sisters, that's about half of our population today. If you don't believe me, just Mm -hmm. check into Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and see see what is being said, the horrible, horrible things that are being said about nothing more than protecting Innocent unborn life in what should be the safest place in the world, the womb of a mom. Now, this next verse you're gonna wonder, preacher, what's that got to do with anything? You'll see. Matthew 6:10, you're probably super familiar with it. Matter of fact, it's probably one of the first things that these children learn in a Christian home is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, This is what I'm going to use in two weeks to spend an entire week in this prayer. And I hope to teach it to about 60 junior campers so that they can go home and know not only the Lord's prayer, but how to use it as an outline to talk to their Father in heaven. You know the beginning of it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, don't let me carry your name lightly. I must keep your name sacred and holy. Well, how do I do that? Here's the next part. Your kingdom, what? Come. Your will be done, where? On earth, just as it is done, where? In your, in, At the foot of your throne. Now, that kingdom is literally the rule of, and reign of God. And what Jesus, the Son of God, was teaching His disciples when they said, teach us how to pray, to do what you do, He said, here's how you pray. If you have any hope of not carrying God's name lightly, vainly, as if it had no meaning whatsoever, then you better better be inviting the rule and the reign of God into and onto your life and your surroundings. You tracking with that this morning? He said, what's that got to do with abortion? Let me ask you a question. He clarifies what that looks like, how, how total the rule and reign of Christ must be, or of, of, of the Father in our lives, by saying this, your, here's what the kingdom coming looks like, is that God's will is done in our realm of earth just as it is done where? In His very presence in the throne room. How do you reckon God's rule and reign is obeyed at His feet right now in present heaven? Perfectly. Perfectly. Let me ask you this question. you see where I'm going with this. Will there be abortion or the need for abortion or even the thought of it in the new heaven and new earth? Is there murder in the present heaven right now? No, there's no sin there. And what is he saying? We're inviting your rule and reign right now in our life and in the, and, 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 and our community, right? Abortion has no part of that. It is in direct opposition to the mandate of the king in the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments, Commandment number six, you shall not, what? Commit murder or kill. The unjust, there's a just time to take a life. The unjust taking of human life. Now, let me put this together. We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves little Christs. We call ourselves, as the scriptures do, we agree with the word, we call ourselves members, citizens of the kingdom of King Jesus. True? His kingdom come. We want his rule and reign. Abortion is the murder of an unborn human being has no room in the kingdom of Christ. Romans 1. We're going to look at 26 through 32. I'm going to read verse 18 first. Here's what verse 18 says, then we'll drop down to 28. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and here's what we do, who suppress that truth in unrighteousness. You see, because here's the thing, folks. Even the lost, even those who are in the kingdom of darkness right now, y'all know the truth. They know the truth. But they suppress it. They keep it down. They keep it from bothering them by throwing lies at it. And they do that in unrighteousness, in sinful attitudes and actions. Then we pick it up in verse 28. It says, And even as they did not, speaking of the same people, like to retain God in their knowledge, obviously not. This is, this is the opposite of inviting the rule and reign of Christ in your, of, of God in your life. Uh, what did God do? Well, He gave them over to a debasement. He said, well, Here, I'll give you what you want. To do those things which are not fitting. Next verse, and being filled, and here's what happened. When God gave them their reign, when you're riding a horse and he's fighting you, you just give them their reign, give them their head. You let them go where they want. So God just kind of gave them their reign. It's okay, go ahead, do what you want. Here's what they wanted. Here's where it ended up. Being filled, and that word means overflow. Their lives became overflowed with all unrighteousness. You name it, they did it. And then he's going to delineate. Sexual immorality. Wickedness. Covetousness. Maliciousness. This list gets worse. Full of envy. Here's murder. Strife. Deceit. Evil-mindedness. A mind bent towards evil. They're whisperers. In other words, gossips. Backbiters. Haters of God. Violent. I mean they call for a night of rage. There's already enough violence in, a, in abortion itself. And to call for violence on people who want nothing more than protect the lives of the unborn. As Jay said in the text, it's, it's very easy to see which side is darkness and which side is light. Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. And by the way, young people, look at this one. In this list of what we would consider heinous, horrible crimes against our king and our God, look at this one that's in there. Disobedient to parents. You think your obedience to your parents matters? God puts it right up there with violent backbiters, murderers. God don't play with sin. Next verse. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Pretty strong, isn't it? And the last verse. Who, Now, notice what he says about these people in darkness. They know the righteousness of God. Now look at this. That those who practice such things are deserving of death. By the way, young people. Disobedience to parents. Death penalty. Oh, my word, that's a little harsh. That's God's word. Deserving of death. All right, Back that up there just a minute. Let me get the rest of that. They're deserving of death. They know it. We know it. But they not only do the same... They don't not only practice this stuff, but look at this, but also approve approve of those who practice them. How how can that be true? I understand there are two sides of the aisle. I try to stay off of that. I'm going to tell you something. I think that one of the biggest curses on our nation today is something called Christian nationalism. Bad idea. It's idolatry, pure and simple. Pure and simple. But that last verse says we approve of those who practice these things. In some looser translations, not translations, they're bad paraphrases. It literally says, we vote for those who practice such things. You say, well, I don't approve of that. Who'd you vote for last? You say, preacher, are you telling me who to vote for? Nope. I'm not. And I won't, not from this platform. Let me clear up some things. You don't vote for a person. You vote for a platform. And I can't remember the last time I was able to vote and not hold my nose. Can you? It's been a long time. And I have not always voted party line either in my life. Because there are issues That way, more than other issues. Life is one of them, pure and simple. Life and the sanctity of life is heavier, much heavier than taxes. It's much heavier than one platform stance on the current war or crisis. And how do we call ourselves citizens of the kingdom of God? I just want to unpack this. How do we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we vote for platforms that directly promote and result in the unjustified murder of millions of human beings? I don't get it. Nothing on that platform is more important than that issue right there. And yet we do. I'll say one more thing on this. I know it's hard. But here's the truth. Say preacher, you know, I don't, why would we even have to go here? Here's why. Cuz one day you're going to stand before that king that you have named as your king, yet have committed treason against him and his rule and his reign. And that day's not going to go well for you, and I'm partially responsible for when you stand before him. We need to repent. But here's the last thing. Is we need to redeem the time. Amen. Brothers and sisters, rejoice, yes. Repentant, Repent, that's a must. But oh, we got to, it's not over. In fact, the battle just went to 50 fronts. We got a lot more work to do. A lot more work to do. Ephesians 5 is where this phrase comes from in verse 15. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly. In other words, look around you. Not as fools, but as wise. Wise people are aware of their surroundings. Redeeming the time, that means purchasing it back. Being specifically active and involved. Why? Because the days are evil. We are buying back the time we're investing our time to battle evil because we live in evil days. Redeeming that time because the days are evil in verse 17 it says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I just want to ask you, especially if you're on the other side of this issue, do you really believe, can you honestly, in any kind of good conscience, look yourself or me in the eye and say, I believe abortion is the will of God? So we've got to redeem the time. We've got to be involved in bringing this to an end. And I know there's issues. And I have really just presented one side. And I'm going to just, in the last few minutes I've got left with you today, <coughs> I want to give you some strategy to help you do that. And I want to talk about some of those harder things. A lot of the memes and the, and the posts that are out there saying, you know, which are not accurate, Um, but are saying that we just brought an end to women's health care in this country. That is not true. Not true at all. We've just saved millions of future women from the death penalty. And there are times, would you agree, there are times that there's issues, right? Sure. Yeah. Outside the body, yeah. Yeah. I loved her, and I cared about her today. So that's what she did, her, her mother went, and she got to hold her baby. And my friend got to hold her right now. And they thank God for her. Mm. So they only had to spend moments with her. But that's what that is. It does. It does. And you know what? Nobody denies that. Why would you even bother delivering a baby early and ho- a slight, slight chance that it could live. Because we intuitively know that life matters. There's a, and what, a, what an honorable thing to do to hold, even though that baby died before it was delivered, Poor little Hazel was delivered. Why do we do that? Because it's a human being. It's a human being and that life is precious. She's beautiful. She has... Oh, Oh. And we honor that, right? And we'll have a funeral. It's a, Why? Because it's a person. And that's really the, 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 the crux of the argument. And I just want to give you a couple of things to think about that you can use. And I am going to try to post Jay's talk on that. It's called A Case for Life. I'm going to try to post it on our, our thing this week so you can get it. And I got this from Jay. But he says, we, we must argue this with people who are on the still in the kingdom of darkness and, or, or confused, we got to argue it from two fronts initially, and that's from science and philosophy. So why not the Bible? Because we've got to start where we have agreement. you got to start from a point of agreement so you can move to and, and introduce. And here's what the Scripture says. The Scripture had this right all along. And the first question, the scientific question that needs to be answered is what are they? What are the unborn? Um, the Latin word is fetus, which you've heard that a lot lately. You just pr- pronounced the English way, which is fetus. You know what it means? It means baby. Literally, the pagan Romans understood this. And there were some horrible people who had zero value of life, especially infant life. The word fetus means baby in Latin. we got to answer the question, what, what are they? What are the unborn? And again, I, 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 Jay helped me understand this. If Jackson, if I'm in the house and I hear Jackson say to me, hey, Dad, can I kill this? Well, you know, what's the answer? He's seven years old. It could be anything, right? And your initial thought is no, but really the question is, well, well what is it? It depends. What is it? If he's holding a cockroach, guess what the answer is? Yes, you may kill that and do it quickly, right? Please. Now, if he's got the neighbor's cat in his hand, answer is no, right? Different value on that life, right? So here it is: what it is determines the right or wrong of how we treat it. That makes sense. We all understand that at a core level. What it is determines the right or wrong of it. So here's the deal. We must ignore this question and its answer to terminate that life. We've got to ignore it. We, we, won't, we can't even ask the question because science has already proven exactly what that is. And one of the questions as you're talking to people who are confused or still in darkness on this issue. Here's a good question. Um, and it's in that book, Tactics, Courtney. Highly, do you remember the author? Yeah. Greg Kokel. Uh, in the book, Tactics, here's one of the questions he, he teaches you to ask is, what do you mean by that? And not in an ugly way, having a conversation. What do you mean by that? Help me understand. And here's one of the things that's helpful. You always know, we say, well, it's not really a, a human life. Well, what if it's a two-year? How old is Simon? Two and, two and a half. What if it's Simon? Right? And, and I said, you know what? Simon was born to these two. They're struggling financially; can't make ends meet. He's put a phenomenal financial stress on this family. It's emotional stress in their marriage. Let's just kill him. Let's just. I'll do it quietly. We'll just kill him you lose your mind. Why? Because intuitively, intuitively we know that it's, you can't kill children because they're expensive. Yeah. And they say, well, it's, it's not that. It's the privacy issue. It's the privacy issue. Which really is what Roe versus Wade uh, was decided on, the, the privacy rights of the mom. But let's say the same kid, let's say that, that Mike is beating the tar out of him every night. And he is just, his life is living hell at home. But it's in the privacy of their home and it's only them. But you find out about it. What do you do? You say, well, you know what? It's their own home. It's their kid. It's a privacy issue. What they do is what they do. No. Why? Because privacy is not a justification for abusing other human beings. Is it better because he's got a horrible life, just take him out and kill him? No. The arguments fall apart. And what we're saying is that abortion is a moral issue. It's not a preferential. One of the, one of the arguments you're going to get is, well, if you don't like abortion, don't have one. No, you've turned that into preference and you've, you've, you've let go of the morality. It is a moral issue. If we answer the question of what is it and, and we, we come to the conclusion that even the pro-choice scientists fully admit is that at the point of fertilization, this fertilized egg is a human being then we can say without a doubt that the ending of that life is wrong for all people of all times in all places it's not about your preference it's about right and wrong so we got to argue from common ground and this is why we argue initially from science and philosophy in order to find that common ground so the first question is what is it well we've got to ask the question when does human life begin And here's the reality, at fertilization, they are a distinct living, uh, they are a distinct living and whole entity immediately. And by distinct, we mean they respond to stimuli, have cellular reproduction, and have metabolism. That is the scientific definition of life. And every scientist... Well, do what Mike's doing right now, shake their head so say, that's exactly right. That's exa- that is life. If they respond to stimuli, have cellular reproduction and metabolism. They're, they're, they're distinct. They're distinct in that uh, they're not depending. They're absolutely individual. And they're whole in that they're not a part of anything else. From the moment of fertilization, listen to this, that life serves only itself. Serves only itself. And every pro-choice scientist, lawyer, and biologist fully admits this. Jay says he used to carry around 10 pages of quotes from those very people. I'll give you one. Michelin Matthews Ross, a Harvard Medical School uh, professor, 1981 testimony at the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. Here's what he said, quote, It is scientifically correct to say, That an individual human life begins at conception when egg and sperm join to form the zygote. And this developing human always is a member of our species in all stages of development. That's science. Then we move to philosophy. What's the philosophy question? Science question is, what is it? Scientists, if they're honest true scientists, biologists, they they, we, we all know what it is. But philosophy is a little different. The philosophy question is, does it have value? Is it entitled to equal protection under the law? Is there any value to this microscopic human being? In the womb of its mom, that's the question: Does it matter? Sophia knows the answer to that question. Right? You don't even have to be that old to know the answer to that. Of course, that's why you deliver a baby knowing there's no hope this baby's going to live. You do it because you honor the value. In that life that could have been. So, in closing today, I want to just answer a couple questions with that. How do we redeem the time? What's the best way to do it? Well, I would say keep rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is our strength today, and the rule and reign of our King has finally gained some ground in this nation that we live in today. And citizens of the kingdom are rejoicing, and we should. We also should be repenting. Tears of sorrow and regret should be mixing with those tears of joy. But we got to redeem that time. How do we do that? First of all, we got to go after the hearts of our family. And our friends. I'm amazed and disheartened. I'm not going to lie to you. Kids that I've had in my class over the last 10 years, some of their posts on Friday broke my heart. Homeschooling your kid, by the way, will never save them. Homeschooling does not bring a person to salvation. Only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can do that. And boy, was that proved to me this week? As I read these posts from former students who are completely in darkness. How do I redeem the time? Let's go, let's go after them. Let's love them with the truth. Let's love women who have had abortions, and there's probably some sitting in here right now, and I know this is hard to hear. But let's go to them and say, hey, Jesus died for that, and there is forgiveness for that and restoration. You are not a second class citizen, you're a daughter of the king. We must learn to focus on the goal of winning the arguer and not the argument. That's why I do not get in debates on social media. I'll talk to you over a cup of coffee. Not on that platform. We got to go after their hearts. We need to evangelize the lost. You know that's the only hope, don't you? You realize that? When you read those posts, you think, it's game over. Nothing's ever going to change their mind. Wrong. The one who made them can change their heart. And when your heart is changed, your thinking changes. You begin to love what the king loves, and you hate what he hates. He is the God of life. The sixth commandment is there for a reason. Everybody suffers. Our king changes hearts. We need to repent of the idolatry of thinking if I can get get, get my kids in a certain place, if I do X, Y, and Z and check all these boxes off, then they're going to have a biblical worldview of love God and serve Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and neighbor as self. No. No. Only, only when they get to a bloody cross and an empty tomb and see a risen Christ at the right hand of the Father and that blood is applied to their account, only then is their heart changed. I don't care what you do in the meantime. It won't change that for a minute. Now, is it important? Yes, because that's obedience on our part. I, we, we raise our kids according to the Scriptures because it's obedience to the King and we're a part of the kingdom. And for nothing else... We must evangelize the lost. We've got to find a voice. We've kept quiet for too long. That's why we're in this predicament. You want to know the quickest way to turn this thing around? It's not by voting for a pro-life platforms in November, although I urge you to do that. Not it. It's not by voting. It's by sharing the gospel. You want to make a difference in your community, in this nation? Share the gospel with your neighbor who has no clue. Tell them that there's forgiveness, reconciliation, and eternal life offered through Jesus Christ. That's the only hope we have to change hearts. We need to support crisis pregnancy centers like Care and Solutions. We'll be doing that this week as church. We'll be sending them a check for $500 out of our missions fund because they need it. They've had to get extra security down there because of the threats that have been made against them because they've done nothing but stand for life. And we've got to get involved in that. And then lastly, we need to pray and then put feet to those prayers for the expansion of the kingdom. We need to rejoice. We need to repent. And we need to redeem the time. We've got an opportunity. We can't afford to sleep on this one. It's time to wake up. Would you stand with me? i want to pray, and then we're going to sing a response song. And in that response time, I want you to respond to God. I want you to rejoice in your response. I want you to repent in your response. And I want you to tell our King... I am available. You just point me in a direction and with your help, I'll redeem the time in these evil days. I'll do it. Because I'm yours. I'm a citizen and I'm all in. That's how we respond today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what has happened. May it really, truly, may it bring you glory. May lives be saved. May babies be born. And may mothers in hard situations like that may they be loved and cared for and taken care of by your people may we be truly pro-life in all facets from the womb to the tomb and may we wrap arms around women who are find themselves in in what seem like absolutely upside down impossible situations and may they discover you in the midst of that the God of the impossible (laughs) And may you use us to be small parts of that. May you open our hearts and our homes. That Lord, if if there truly is an influx of of babies with no homes, may they find homes in our homes. May we stop making excuses and start making plans. Because we're going to be all in and redeeming the time. And may you get the glory from it. In Jesus' name, amen.